Are you looking for a way to invest at a lower minimum and participate in more deals? Look no further than our weekly deal webinars hosted in collaboration with TribeVest. With every deal we offer, left field investors have the option to join an open tribe, allowing you to invest for as little as $10,000. No need to meet the standard $50,000 minimum. Joining an open tribe is easy. TribeVest handles all of the setup, fund collection and distribution, and even provides K-1s for tax time. All you have to do is sign up. Stay up to date with LFI by subscribing to our emails and gaining clubhouse access to join our deal webinars and open tribes. Don't miss out. This is Chad Ackerman, the host of the LFI Spotlight podcast. As part of our growth here at Left Field Investors, the LFI Spotlight is moving to its own podcast feed. So if you'd like to continue to hear stories, tips, and receive advice, be sure to subscribe to the LFI Spotlight podcast today. We'll see you in the spotlight. Every year, there's a whole list of how the U.S. economy and, and is, is in trouble. It's going to be in trouble. It's going, and you know what it's done over all those years? Basically, it grows all the time. Does it grow every minute? Of course not. Is everything perfect? Of course not. Imagine what we'd do if everything was perfect. But it's in spite of, we still grow. We still grow, we still do. Why? Because we have a fairly entrepreneurial society. We have a fairly aggressive society in terms of welcoming immigrants. We may not welcome them, but compared to most places, we're pretty welcoming, say compared to Japan or China or other economies. I wish we were more welcoming. We like entrepreneurs. We like success. That's why we grow. Hello, left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. This is Paul Shannon from Red Hawk Real Estate, and you're listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. I'm really excited today to have Dr. Peter Lineman with us. He holds both master's and doctorate degrees in economics from the University of Chicago. He is the principal of Lineman Associates, and for nearly four decades, he has provided strategic and financial advice to leading corporations. Through Lineman Associates, he provides M&A analysis, market studies, feasibility analysis, all of that to a bunch of leading U.S. and international companies. In addition, he serves as an advisor to and a board member of several public and private companies. Peter was a real or was a professor of real estate at the Wharton School of Business at University of Pennsylvania from 1979 until his retirement in 2011. He's an accomplished author, having written books, articles, and of course the Lineman Letter, which is a quarterly letter for commercial real estate investors, and so much more in Peter's past. Uh, that he's done and currently doing. So I will leave it to him to explain it. But Peter, welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Thank you for having me, Jim. And it just occurred to me as you were saying the introduction, you said for nearly 40 years, I, I really began the advisory part of my life in 1979. And it just dawned on me we're we're well over 40 <laughs> years at this point. So I'm old. That's right. Well, who's counting, right? <laughs> Right. Uh, so the first question I usually ask is just to kind of get a sense of your journey. You know, I, I we've talked about it, right? Over forty years, you've been you've been in real estate. But how did you get there? And, and kind of just a little bit about your your journey uh, to, to till until you got here today. So 
Um, sure, everybody loves to talk about the wonder of themselves. I, I grew up in a place called Lima, Ohio, which was a rust wasn't Rust Belt then. It was real industrial heartland of America. And um, my family was uh, blue collar. The city was blue collar. Um, uh, I went to university. Uh, I was one other sibling of mine went to university, but three didn't. Uh, while at university, I met an amazing woman who's 101 now. Who uh, She served on five Fortune 500 boards in the 70s and 80s and was a professor of mine and was uh, Dr. Lucille Ford and took economics with her. And she said, you ought to go to University of Chicago and study with Milton Friedman and Gary Becker. And I did. And I uh, had the opportunity to study under these amazing minds at the University of Chicago as an economist. And then uh, they said, oh, you ought to stay on our faculty. And I said, well, that sounds good. And and because I'm a blue collar kid, what the hell do I know, you know? And um, and then Wharton, you mentioned, in 1979 uh, came and hired me away from Chicago. And as that occurred, I had calls from Michelin Tire and from the third largest paper manufacturer in the country at that time, independent, saying, gee, we hear we should hire you as a consultant. Because they needed a consultant. A real person was not available. They said, well, who do you suggest? I was a young guy that they knew about, but I wasn't doing any consulting. And to get them off the phone, they said my name. And I said, yes, which was a great lesson, which is uh, do good work. Somebody might notice and recommend you. And then when the opportunity comes, take it, take the opportunity. And for the first five or six years of my career, I wasn't doing real estate. I was doing LBOs and antitrust and, and finance and structuring kind of stuff, economics. And then in 1985, the way I got into real estate was Russ Palmer, who was the best dean I've ever seen, uh, was in his second year. And he said, um, Wharton's got the worst effort of anything possible in real estate, tell me if I should close it or grow it. And he was right. It was it was scandalous, and um, I had nothing to do with it. And and it was and I said I, I studied it like a consulting project and said you ought to grow it um, because we're in the professionalization business. This is 1985, and we should be at the vanguard of professionalizing this industry. And he said, "Great, why don't you do it?" <laughs> I said, I don't know anything about it. And he said, you'll learn. And I knew, quote, new finance, and I knew economics, but I didn't really know real estate. It was all tax gimmicks back then. Not all, but it was a lot of tax gimmicks. And um, But I'm a good student. So instead of learning from Milton Friedman and Gary Becker and Nobel Prize winners, I was able to get Al Taubman and Mel Simon and Mort Zuckerman and Gene Cohn and Claude Ballard and an amazing array of people to teach me the industry. And um, and so the next thing you knew, I was not only Wharton's program had grown and become amazing and others copied it and improved it uh, over the years. But I had kind of stumbled into an expertise. And um, 
I became chairman of Rockefeller Center in 1995. I still remember Pete Peterson was on the board. He was one of the co-founders of Blackstone and three other legends and me. (laughs) And they were a generation older. And I still remember the moment. It was a very difficult situation. And and they looked at me and said, well, what do you think we ought to do? And I thought to myself, why are they asking me? (laughs) And then you have that moment of clarity. This is it, right? This is all there is. It's just good people trying to do the best they can with the limited knowledge they can and trying to gather. That started me down that path. Sam Zell hired me away for a year and a half while I was on sabbatical a couple of years later to help him wind down some stuff and grow some stuff. That was an amazing experience. And then, you know, we have expanded into some investing, Lineman Letter, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we have an online program to educate people on in the industry. Um, and it's been an amazing journey with amazing people. And um, it's like an overnight success that took, I don't know, what would we just say, 45 years or 44 years, if, if you will. Um, no, but it's been a wonderful experience. And, and you wake up one day and people say, oh, you're an expert in something. And you know you're not. Right. <laughs> you Because you know what you don't know, uh, which is endless, what you don't know. Um, and in fact, the more people say I'm an expert, the more I realize I'm not. I don't know so much, right? So anyway, Jim, that's the quick version. That's great. And that, that's a great way to keep a life of learning, right? To think that you're not the expert, that means you're going to go out and keep learning. And, and it seems like learning is a focus for you. And so I guess, you know, my, my first real question is, as you were going through this, you, you listed off a, a lot of people who helped you along the way and taught you and were mentors to you. And, and that's fantastic. But how did you how did you find these great mentors and teachers and get them to kind of help you, especially with learning the real estate part? Well, the university part was easier because they were paid to teach <laughs> me. Although, as you know, it's not so easy to get a great person focused. But what I was good at is identifying people I could learn from. They could identify that I was serious and committed and would work hard. And then when you get to the real estate side, you have to ask. And so like Al Taubman in 1985, really almost until his death eight years ago, whenever, it was like the the person in the industry. It was like synonymous with quality and so forth and judgment. Um, and I asked, would you be interested in helping us develop Wharton's program? Now, by the way, there were several people I asked and said, no, thank you. I'm involved with hospitals or I'm involved in something else. It's um, people, Sam Zell, very dear friend for 33 years, just passed away yeah. a week or so ago. And people say, oh, how'd you meet? Well, we, we ran into one another on the circuit, you know, the conference circuit. <laughs> And like 1991 or something, and he was the only other person, I'm being facetious, he was the only other person who I thought made sense. And he thought I was the only (laughs) other person who made sense. And so you start talking. So instead of just rushing off stage, you took the time to say, wow, that was kind of interesting. And then you start exchanging. And and so, and, and 
I was just blessed that people were willing to share. And a lot of amazing people uh, were willing to share. And I'm a pretty good student in the sense I know how to learn. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm the greatest student, but I know how to learn. And I think a lot of people, Jim, to your point, don't know how to learn. They aren't curious enough, right? Learning is a skill. Yeah. It's, it's, there's a real skill to learning. And one of the things I have found in my life is I'm very skilled. I've become very skilled at learning. But how did I get them? I asked. And then you build a relationship. And you, you didn't build a relationship in the first meeting. You, uh, I mean, I'll tell you, if you've got time, yeah. I'll tell you a cute story with Al Taubman, how did I build a relationship? So I met Al. We asked him if he would help us with the real estate program in 1985. He came. He had lunch. We had nice chemistry um, for two hours, we talked about what might be possible, how we could improve the industry. Um, and he said, I'm going to be at ULI in, I think it was in Chicago in like three weeks. Are you going to be there? And I had just joined ULI. I had no idea what ULI even was. And so I said, yeah, but I am. So he said, well, why don't you have breakfast with me on the Saturday? So I go over and he's got this big breakfast set out for us in his suite and we talked for what we thought was going to be a half an hour but became two hours and and he said um i don't have to give a speech this was like at eight in the morning i have to give a speech at one o'clock and i said well i have to give a speech at one o'clock as well he said well why don't we go out to woodfield mall which was on a saturday morning a 30-minute drive out to one of his legendary shopping center. So we're in the car and you're kind of talking and you're this thing and you're that. We walk the shopping center together. He's pointing out to me why you did this or why you did that or why you didn't. We go into A&W restaurant, which he owned at the time, and we get curly fries and hamburgers. <laughs> and in the kitchen, you know, we go back in the kitchen and get curly fries and hamburgers. And as we're heading back to the city, back to Chicago from the suburbs, he said, oh, we didn't try the hot dogs. And I said, no, I'm not a big hot dog fan, you know, and so oh, don't worry, and we'll get you hot dogs. And then that was a Saturday. And on the Monday, I get a Monday morning, I get a call from my wife saying, we just got 20 pounds of hot dogs on dry ice <laughs> from the A&W, you know, and it's like, but that, you know, that's how you build relationships. Absolutely. It wasn't intended. It just was. I could have gone just saying, all I'm going to do is say something about Wharton and da 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 da, da. Um, And I could give you a story on everybody that way, you know, of something. And I'm sure you can with every one of your friends right. and cronies in life. Yeah, no, that, that that's a great story. And it just shows that, you know, it, it's available if you take it, right? You you had to make the choice to go meet with them, and then you had to make the choice to get in the car and go to the mall. I mean, you could have said no at any time, but you're curious and wanted to learn, and you did it. And I think that's that's good uh, a good lesson for others out there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Aspen Funds has been a consistent supporter of left field investors. You may have seen Bob Frazier on an LFI webinar or at our October meetup in the left field speaking on investable megatrends for the next decade. Whether you're an accredited investor interested in mortgage note funds with a 10-year track record or other macro-driven alternative investments such as industrial, oil and gas, multifamily or retail, 
The Aspen Funds team is keeping track of the economic trends and co-invests on every deal right alongside you. Meanwhile, you get to do what you love and make every moment count. Download their free economic report today at aspenfunds.us slash LFI. One of our trusted partners, Ashcroft Capital, is currently accepting accredited investors into their Ashcroft Value Add Fund 2. Why should you invest in multifamily now? Let's talk about the elephant in the room. There's turmoil around the world, and we are in a very high inflationary environment. Naturally, that's a lot to digest, and it's on a lot of people's minds as to what this means for multifamily, or how to interpret this kind of data and reasons to consider when deciding to invest. Ashcroft Capital has compiled a white paper of five reasons to consider investing in multifamily in 2022. To read it and to learn more about investing in multifamily real estate with Ashcroft's AVAF2, visit ashcroftcapital.com slash invest in 2022. That's ashcroftcapital.com slash invest in 2022. Uh, so I'd like to really get into it. So in, in your last, in your recent letter, um, you know, the Lineman letter, you started off, you know, stating the strengths of the current economy, industrial outputs up, retail spending's up, unemployment's low, wages have outstripped inflation. So everyone's talking about how bad the economy is, is we're either in a recession or headed into a recession. But it seems like you have a different viewpoint. Can you talk about how you see the current state of things right now? Sure. So let me take a one half step back. I'm 72 years old. And as I reflect on my life, when I'm old enough to understand what people are saying, you know, 17, 16, they've always said list of all the horrible things. Unemployment or this or this or that. I mean, literally, and you know, in your life, every year, there's a whole list of how the U.S. economy and and is is in trouble. It's going to be in trouble. It's going. And you know what it's done over all those years? Basically, it grows all the time. So why do I feel different? Because I know that I'm an empirical kind of guy, and I've observed. Let's say since seventeen, what that be? It's like uh, fifty, whatever. You know, you get the point. It grows. Does it grow every minute? Of course not. Is everything perfect? Of course not. Imagine what we'd do if everything was perfect. <laughs> but it's in spite of, we still grow. We still grow. We still do. Why? Because we have a fairly entrepreneurial society. We have a fairly aggressive society in terms of welcoming immigrants. We may not welcome them, but compared to most places, we're pretty welcoming, say, compared to Japan or China or other economies. Um, I wish we were more welcoming. Um, we like entrepreneurs. I wish we liked them more, but we like entrepreneurs. Uh, we like success. Um, that's why we grow. Now, let me step back into the current moment mm -hmm. with that backdrop. But I think that backdrop is important because, trust me, three years from now, there's going to be a laundry list of, oh, my, isn't it awful? And five years from now, there's going to be, oh, my, isn't it awful? So let's step from that into the current time. So let me give you some good things. Uh, real GDP is still about 2.5% of pre-pandemic trend. So what's that mean? It means we've recovered from the uh, pandemic, but in three years, we grew two years. And we should have grown three years. And I think sometime over the course of history, 
we're going to get that back. And I don't know exactly when, but I know that's a nice tailwind. I know employment is still below pre-pandemic trend. The Fed is crazy to try to get rid of employment. We're still below pre-pandemic trend. We're above pre-pandemic employment, but come on, three years have gone by. We have more people. Um, People have locked in about two-thirds of the people. This is real fast math. Two-thirds of the people own their homes, and two-thirds of homeowners have mortgages. And that two-third largely locked in 2% or less mortgages in when interest rates were really low. That means that their mortgage bears an interest rate, something like two to three percentage points lower than historic norm. That amounts to about, if you do math, that amounts to about 5% of their income for 42% of the population. I got to feel good about that, right? That 42% of the population has about 5% of their income pre-tax. This is after tax, right? Available to do stuff. We still haven't had a full recovery of travel and tourism. Travel and tourism is roughly almost back to pre-pandemic levels. But we've grown for three years. It should be like 5 6 7% higher. We have under-consumed automobiles. And so, for example, so you can identify these areas where we still have a lot of capacity, a lot of businesses. How many? Yes, only 25. You read about how much debt is rolling over, but only like 25% of all corporate and real estate debt rolls over in the next three years. Most debt, 75%, was locked in by businesses at really low interest rates. That gives them cushion and margin. Now, so are there a lot of good things? Supply chains have finally started to normalize and so forth. There's a lot of good things. Are there a lot of bad things? Yes. What's the worst thing facing the economy? The worst thing facing the economy is a Fed who believes their job is to create a recession. That's a dangerous thing. 50 years ago, five zero years ago, I walked in, it's actually in November, 50, it would be 50 years. I walked into my first class with Milton Friedman and he said, the Fed is always arrogant. They always believe they have tremendous control over the economy when they don't have much and it's very poor control. They always are late and they always overreact. By the way, some <laughs> things never change. <laughs> Right. They believe the Fed believes that they're driving a a high precision automobile on a perfect test track in perfect weather conditions. What they're really doing is steering a jalopy with bald tires on (laughs) ice in a blizzard. Now, that doesn't mean they don't have some influence and they have some control, but they have way overreacted. They are reacting to something that is largely gone, namely inflation, that was not largely created by them. It's created by the supply chain issues, which had to do with supply shutdown. Demand, thank God, came back. Supply lagged, thank God, because if supply had come back faster than demand, we'd have massive deflation, which would even have been a bigger problem. And so 
but they can't help themselves. So we have a war going on between the economy and the Fed. And I'll highlight that in the following statement. Last month, uh, the, the job numbers come out, I think, tomorrow and Friday for, for last month, but two months ago. So the most recent job numbers were something like we added 230,000 jobs in the month, okay? And everybody in America was happy except the Fed, right? the members of the Fed. This small group of insular people were unhappy. Now, imagine if we'd have lost a half a million jobs that month. Everybody in the country would have been unhappy except for the people at the Fed. That's a crazy approach to the economy. That's a crazy approach to the economy. And I know I'm simplifying, but it captures certain truth. So I think we've got more good going for us today with this big backdrop, I said. But we certainly have things going for us, uh, going against us. I mean, the fact that kids can't add, that kids don't know who Stalin was. The, you know, We have all sorts of things going against us. In the immediate, the biggest thing going against us is the Fed. But come on, if we weathered if we weathered shutting down the economy for a year and a half, we can weather the Fed. Visor provides investors with a secure platform that displays a comprehensive view of all of their holdings on a single holistic dashboard. From real estate syndications to private equity, crypto to traditional investments with AI-driven, unbiased, honest insights to maximize return. Visor is your one place to rule them all. Automating performance tracking, projecting future cash flow, analyzing all your financial documents and much more in one powerful solution, making it easy to follow the money. Sign up for a free 30-day trial now at Visor.co. This is part one of a two-part episode in the interview with Peter Lineman. There's a lot of great content. We couldn't fit it all into one episode. So be sure to tune in next week for part two. Thanks for hanging out in the left field with us today. If you are interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestor.com and click the subscribe button to join our community. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe to the show on your podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you really enjoyed the show, a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts would be appreciated. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.